I have the enormous privilege, because it normally happens the other way around, of introducing John Bowyer to come and preach to us. Isn't this fantastic? Can we give him a proper welcome yeah. there? It'd be nice. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> it's always weird being this side of the mic stand. If you don't know me, I usually stand that side of the mic stand with an acoustic guitar. Today, I stand this side. Ooh. Okay, so uh, if you're joining us today, uh, you've come in midway through our teaching series that we're going through this summer. It's a how-to series that we're looking at. It's um, kind of a, quite a practical series. We're going through the book of James and drawing out things from the book of James and looking at how we can apply these into our lives and really give Jesus the honor and the glory in everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, in different social situations that we interact with. And so far, I don't know if you can remember with me, we've had um, how to avoid anger. That was Polly. She kicked that off a couple of weeks back. And the, the premise really that um, by anger at its root is pride, and we, uh, by destroying pride and getting rid of that, and replacing it with humility and love for Jesus. And we saw how Jesus uh, basically got righteously angry when the temple was being misused, and then how he was, when he had the opportunity to be angry, when he was falsely tried, sentenced, and executed, he didn't at all get angry in any way. We then looked at, a couple of weeks ago, Jez was talking on, I don't know if you remember, How to Spot Celebrity, and um, we had a couple of slides up there with Andrew on them as well, one of our local celebrities. Uh, and and that, again, with that was how to destroy favoritism in our lives. Uh, favoritism is a, a thing that is big in our culture. We celebrate these various folk. It's how we get rid of that in our life and really replace that with loving our neighbors as we love ourselves and really avoiding all of that celebritism. Celebritism? Uh, and then last week, Jess spoke on how to live by faith. And again, with that, I don't even remember this line that really stuck out for me that week was, uh, our behavior betrays our belief. Do you remember that one? Our behavior betrays our belief. And I mention these because what we're talking on this morning is how to tame the tongue. And really, all those last three preaches, kind of uh, what I have to say today really takes a bit off each of those. Um, uh, Again, our, our language is, comes from our behavior. Our language is part of our behavior. How we speak comes from our behavior. And really, how we speak and loving people matters. And so that's what I want to talk on this morning. I'm not talking on this because this is something I've got down. I haven't tamed the tongue. You'll be uh, maybe relieved to know, or maybe you know already. Um, my wife isn't in the room, but I'm sure you could find out from her. I haven't yet nailed this one. Uh, the tongue is a hard thing to tame. Uh, and I'm sure this is relevant to all of us. Um, all of us find speech uh, very easy. All of us have the ability to speak, or at least almost all of us have the ability to speak. And so it's something that we all do, and it's important that as followers of Jesus, we get this one right, because it's what the world sees of us. Um, in our society, self-preservation is very prevalent. It's very at the forefront. We promote ourselves at the, uh, to, at the expense of others very often. That's quite common in our society. So we're, uh, using speech positively isn't something that perhaps comes naturally to us, and it's something we've had to work at. And perhaps as you start to follow Jesus, it's something you've been aware of and you're working at, uh, like myself, over the years. 
But we're going to go through James, so we're going to jump in at James chapter 3. Um, if we could have it on the screen, please. If we got... What is that? In Greek. Greek. I, I don't study Greek. Um, I'm English. Can you, and can you interpret? No, okay. Well, I'll read it then. Thank you anyway, whoever planned the slides for me this morning. Um, that was kind of you. Um, so in English, it reads like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for the, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's scary. Um, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudders wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set apart or set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he says this, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's some um, pretty strong imagery in that, isn't there? I think you'll agree with me. He uses, I, see, I thought it was quite interesting. He's addressing speech, and to address speech, he uses some really strong words. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. He, um, he uses words, uh, deadly poison. The tongue is full of deadly poison. It's a restless evil. Uh, he uses great big contrasting images. He uses ships, enormous ships, guided by small rudders, wherever the will of the pilot directs, he said. He uses a, a small spark that creates an immense forest fire. So he's try I think he wants us to see the power of our language and the power of the tongue. These, uh, the, 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 there are power in our words. Our words have power. And James is, I think, pleading with us, get this, see how powerful the tongue is. Uh, be aware of this. Um, in 1839, a playwright coined the term, and I'm sure many of you have heard this, it was that the pen is mightier than the sword. And um, so the recorded word written down, uh, today, in today's culture it's on Vimeo or Facebook or Twitter, the recorded word has more power than the sword. Like James, he realizes the power and the influence of the tongue. And that's why James is desperately playing with us today and with his church in Jerusalem at the time. The tongue wields great influence 
um, and it can influence and destroy entire organizations. Uh, Napoleon, have we got a picture of Napoleon? Look at that. There's, there's Napoleon. He was an emperor in France, France, a little while ago. Um, he was someone who realized this. He looks very grumpy, doesn't he? He looks very grumpy. I quite like this picture. I might hang it on my wall. Um, maybe we'll go in our bedroom. Um, this is Napoleon. He was recorded to have said this. Four hostile newspapers are to be more feared than a thousand bayonets. See, Napoleon realized the power of our language. And actually what he ended up doing was getting rid of all the newspapers and only having a few that he had vetted. See, Napoleon realized that a bayonet takes out one person at a time. Got a thousand bayonets, take out a thousand people. But newspapers, you think about how many people read newspapers today. The recorded word has great power, great influence. Uh, again, in France, recently, uh, many of you will know, in response to Charlie Hebdo attacks, not long ago, uh, my parents live in Paris, so they were right in the midst of this. They, um, in, in the middle of Paris, thousands and thousands and thousands gathered to, in protest to what happened to the Charlie Hebdo uh, cartoonists. And I don't know, I'm sure you know the story. Um, I read it on the BBC News app. Um, but these uh, seven or so cartoonists were sh gunned down because they had offended or uh, drawn pictures which some militant Islamists felt was disrespectful to their God. Well, they responded with pens. And they, uh, there was this amazing picture. I've got another picture up on the slide here. Um, if you could, John, that's great. So they responded saying, look, these are our weapons. You may come at us with your military strength and your military might and your aggressiveness, but we have the power of the pen. The recorded word has much greater influence. I know they draw cartoons, etc., but the, uh, kind of my point is the recorded word has much greater power and influence than a few bayonets or a machine gun. Many cartoons came out comparing the pencil with bullets or writers with fighters. And James genuinely believes, along with Napoleon and these folk in Paris, that the pen or the written word or the recorded word or our words to each other have great influence. Words have the ability to build up and encourage or destroy and tear down. He pleads with his church, uh, and I thought this was interesting. He says to his church, um, towards the end of the passage, he says, these things ought not to be so. And I thought that was interesting, because I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, and I, I thought, well, why does he say that? Why are these things ought not to be so? And I think James realizes, along with Paul, that the church that he's writing to, this congregation has had a heart change. And like us this morning, if we know Jesus and we follow Jesus, we've had a heart change. And so when he goes on to say, um, can a fig tree produce olives or an olive grove produce figs? He's saying, guys, girls, now that you're a new creation, these things ought not to be so. Don't speak in this way anymore. Don't put away, stop messing around with corrupt speech. It doesn't help. It doesn't glorify Jesus. It doesn't honor God. Words count. Don't be careless with them or loose with your time. I remember, um, I remember as a child, uh, there was a poem that I used to recite, 
And I'm sure I'm, I'm not the only one in this room that used to say this. It went like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What rubbish. <laughs> what utter rubbish. I, uh, I should tell Levi as soon as he starts saying this. Uh, Levi's my oldest son. When he starts coming home with this, no, that is not true. Words hurt. I know many of us can remember, I'm sure many of us can remember harmful words that we've had spoken to us. Perhaps nicknames that you may have been called. I had two nicknames going through school. Two nicknames. One of them I won't tell you. Uh, wouldn't be appropriate. The, the other nickname uh, was Grandad Shoes. That hurt. <laughs> um, in year nine, we were preparing to go to school. My mum took me out shopping. And popular in our school were these uh, base London loafer shoes. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, remember these shoes. They were black loafers, usually with a brass buckle or something on the front like that. And then they were like uh, suede or they were crocodile skin. They were pretty cool. They were the cool things to have at the time. And, and I couldn't afford some. So anyway, mum and I, we went shopping in preparation for year nine. And uh, we went and bought some shoes. Uh, they were similar to... I turned up at school, first day of year nine, and I just got abuse all day. And it didn't stop until I left the school in year 11. It didn't make me leave the school, <laughs> but I left in year 11. And uh, gosh, this abuse, Grandad Shoes, was my nickname from then onwards. And it was hurt. I, I mean, it's not really nasty, is it? But it hurt, and the reason it hurt was because I was trying to join the crowd and fit in. And instead what it was doing was making me separated from the crowd. Uh, and so they called me Grandad Shoes. And I, I feel the shame of that even to this day. Uh, that's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, but cutting remarks, nicknames, we feel them. Words do have impact on our lives. Perhaps you can remember the nicknames or the names you were called more than any fights you have been in. I don't know. But uh, words have significant power. And we need to be aware, as we speak as Christians, that we uh, use our words wisely. We live in a culture where it's big on self-expression, with the freedom of speech. And um, with the world at our fingertips, like I was saying before, you can have great influence. Uh, I don't know how many Facebook friends you've got on your profile, but you can, when you upload a status, you potentially can impact all 300, 400. Uh, this goes up there for everyone to see. Maybe you've got a Twitter account. And the things that you tweet, the things that you write about, these things can be read by thousands. We have great influence, even more so than 200 years ago. And so it's, I think it's valuable that we get this one right, that we understand that the way we use our tongue today matters. Um, many, uh, these, uh, we can use these things for good as well. I, I think I've spoken perhaps fairly negatively about the power and the influence of word. But we can use these things for good. I've seen many pastors and preachers on Facebook. In fact, King's Church, we use Facebook. I'm sure you may well have seen and perhaps even shared some of our videos that we've been putting up. So the video of Faye and Ben over in Eastbourne that we had this morning, 
That's been on Facebook for some time. And all of those uh, smartphone stories, we call them, those short, you know, one-minute videos of what God's been doing in people's lives, they go up on Facebook. And as we share them, I know uh, Abby shares them from time to time. I've seen other people have shared them and, you know, posted them as well on their timeline. And so these things get seen by our non-Christian friends and people that don't know Jesus. So we have, again, we're using our influence and our words wisely there. We also, um, with our Twitter accounts, I've seen, uh, I know Andrew, you're on Twitter, aren't you? And uh, often we'll upload something about what God is doing in the church or what he has learnt. Blogging, blogging is popular. I don't know if you've seen or read Jez's blogs. Everyone say yes, we've all read Jez's blogs. Um, you know, blogging is a popular thing and it's, we, it's being used for good. Um, so, uh, you know, social medias are not a bad thing, but it's up to us on how we use them. Words can create and words can destroy. I, um, <coughs> I don't know if you've ever wondered what it's like to hear God speak. I've wondered that from time to time. I think, well, we have this language, and language is a gift from God, and we are created in God's image. Uh, and we read through the Old, Bible, the Old Testament, and we see God speaks uh, from time to time uh, using his voice. And I don't know if you've ever wondered along with me, I just thought, I wonder what that would sound like. Can you, I w- maybe it's uh, F- Morgan Freeman. <laughs> maybe you've got Morgan Freeman, so, you know, Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty in your head. Um, this big, booming voice. I don't know how you picture it. But in Genesis 1, God speaks. God says something. God speaks. In Genesis 1, in verse 3, He says, let there be light. When God speaks, he creates. That's interesting, isn't it? When God speaks, he creates. In John 1, this is great. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then the beginning of verse 4, in him was life. When God speaks, he creates. Life comes into being when God speaks. A a little bit later in uh, in John, it says, and the word of God became flesh. That's amazing. God speaks and creates. And then what happens when God puts on flesh, the word incarnate, God's message to humanity is in Jesus. And his message is the message of life. It's the message of love. It's the message of hope. So when God speaks, he creates. He gives life. He gives love. And he gives hope. It's amazing. When we speak, do we give life, love, and hope? In our social settings, do we give life, love, and hope every time we open our mouths? When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, just before starting his ministry, he says, uh, man will not live on bread alone, but on every word from the Father. See, Jesus recognizes, understands, it's in the fabric of his being that when God speaks, he speaks life and love and hope. 
I would love for us to get that into our heads, to understand that, to see that. I think if, if our desire is to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates, then we need to understand and have a big view of language like God does. I didn't see this as I was, until I was preparing. I, I think, strangely, this is something I'd always missed. Or I thought, you know, the reason we're polite as Christians is because well, it, it represents well. I didn't realize, actually, God genuinely has an opinion on language. I hadn't really seen that, or I hadn't seen the power of those words. See, uh, in Proverbs 8, verse 13, it says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. In the next sentence, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted or corrupt speech I hate. God has an opinion on corrupt speech. Interestingly, actually, uh, almost every book on the Bible has something to say about the way we use our mouths. I thought that was quite interesting as well. See, I hadn't seen that before. So when we speak, let's bring love, life, and hope. Knowing how God feels about language is a really great place to start. I don't know if you're anything like me, but trying to keep this high standard of language or speaking is quite hard. Um, we all do jobs and all work in various distances or settings or have families and spend time with our children and people that infuriate us quite regularly. I'm sure we can appreciate, all of us, the hard and the difficult task of being careful with our tongue. But knowing how God feels is a great place to start. I mentioned before about self-preservation uh, and Paul, uh, the root of that being pride. And, um, and actually, uh, I remember when Polly spoke a couple of weeks back on anger, pride being the root evil of anger. Pride is often the root of all our sin, everything that we get wrong, all our wrongdoing and mistakes. Pride is very often the bottom. It's where it starts. I don't know if you um, uh, saw the news uh, recently um, it was when uh, Donald Trump, I don't know if you've heard of Donald Trump, he is uh, a US Republican. Andrew laughs. <laughs> um, Donald Trump was rather unwise with his, wo- unwise with his words on a TV debate show. Um, I, I only read the news app. I didn't go too deep into this. But I just scanned through it. And uh, he was challenged on something, on an issue, by another candidate, U.S. Uh, presidential candidate. And he was challenged on TV about something, and uh, he responded quite badly, and you may have picked that up in the papers. He was quite rude about her, and actually quite rude about women in general. Now, I don't know if that's, I have, I've heard that's quite uh, in character with who he is. Um, I won't be voting for him anyhow. But, um, see, I don't, I wonder if it was a response to, I don't know how to handle the issue you've just placed in front of me. I don't know if, uh, if it was something that actually he just went on the defensive and snapped. I don't know. But that, I know that happens for me, which is why I said that. I know that if I'm confronted with something I don't know the answer to, I'll go on the defensive. And that's where we have the, the possibility that pride uh, and self-preservation can kick in at the expense of the person challenging us. Um, when we are called names or accused of something, we react. 
reaction is instinctive. If I go up to Ollie and kick him in the face, I'm not going to do that, um, he will react. There's no two ways about it. He will probably fall backwards, clutching his face, wonder why on earth I just kicked him out of the blue when I was supposed to be teaching this morning. When, uh, when we are hurt, if I said to Andrew, oh, you are this, that, and the other, and was nasty with my words towards him, he reacts, he will react, that hurt. Then in the time that we react, we also then have the option to respond, or we have how we respond to that. So Ollie, as he hits the floor, can either jump back up and lay me out, or he say, John, I totally forgive you. Why don't you do it again? <laughs> <laughs> or as Andrew, as I call him a name or something, he has the option to fire back at me. See, uh, when s- our reaction is instinctive. We can't change that. We will react. If someone hurts us, we react. But how we respond can be altered. How we respond is something that we really need to practice with self-control. Jesus nails this one. I don't know if you've read through Isaiah 53 recently. It says this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearer is, is silent, he did not open his mouth. Actually, one of Jesus' last sentences as he's hanging on this tree is, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus models self-control perfectly, doesn't he? Jesus models self-control for us. I wonder if we are learning how to use that for ourselves. See, Jesus' response to the abuse, to the unfair trial, his response doesn't come from uh, self-preservation. In fact, he just completely overrides self-preservation. He's hanging there on a cross. He has the opportunity that guards are taunting him. If you're Christ, jump down. He doesn't go in for self-preservation. He goes in for self-control. Even whilst hanging there on a cross. See, his security, Jesus' security is rooted in who he is in the Father. And I would encourage us that we get to know who we are in God. And as we get to know who we are in God, that will affect the way we communicate with our friends and our family. Um, As we get to know God, we get to see our status in him as a child. Like I said this morning, we are children in God's kingdom. We are children of him who is our father. But as we recognize that we are children of his, we also recognize that uh, James does this line in verse 9. He says, people made in the likeness of God. That's no accident. God created people in his likeness. So the people out there in our communities, the people out in the North world, they're all people made in the likeness of God. And so when we speak, we need to recognize that and understand that. Jesus is questioned uh, by someone, and he says, he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This, I believe, is how we start to get a handle and a grip on our language, as we recognize who people are made in his image. And as we get hang of that, I think we'll find it easier to respond I've been a Christian 10 years and there are days where I get this so wrong. I think I haven't made any headway here. Um, I've found there are some good practices that have been really helpful for me. And one is this, 
to remain dependent on God every day. I find that a really helpful way to start my day, is say, God, I can't do this on my own. Please help me. Lord, I cannot do that. I can't do this without you. I work with three other gardeners four days a week, and uh, none of them are, are Christians or know Jesus or are interested in God. Uh, and their language, I guess, would reflect that. But how I spend my words with them, how I use my tongue with them, oh my goodness, it's so valuable. It's so valuable. And I come home some days, I was so disappointed and frustrated with myself. Well, I really got that wrong. I didn't think there. I, I wasn't aware. And so I find a great way to start every single day is to say, God, I can't do this apart from you. I need your help. Being dependent on God is a great place to start. Second, the other thing that I do, um, it, there's this verse in Romans 12. Jez and I went to Centre Parks about six, seven years ago. Uh, no, not Centre Parks, uh, Spring Harvest. And uh, we, ha- we were reading through, and our, we did our quiet times together that week, and we were reading through Romans. We came across this verse in Romans 12. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. This is another thing I practice, is outdoing one another in showing honour, is using my speech and Jez and I that week, we were just at each other with compliments. It was mad. It was a bit ridiculous. Or the other thing that we would do is if one of us was late, we'd get him lunch. We'd, we'd pay for breakfast when he wasn't ready. It's like, oh, no, I paid for it. It's all there. I didn't want that. <laughs> but do you see, we, we were at each, out, trying to outdo one another in love and showing honor is a really great place to start. I found that really helpful. Um, the other, pl- the other thing that I do, um, I have found, again, this verse that Jesus says in Matthew 22, when asked the greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Again, we've been covering that most weeks that we've done this through this series. But loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, as we begin to see how God sees people, love people the way God loves people, love people the way we love ourselves, again, this will come through in our speech. Let's learn how to praise people well and value people. I learned this week that praise and value are two different things. Praise, I can say to Ollie, great job this morning, did really good. That's praise. I said, great job this morning, did really good. Now, if I value Ollie, I will say this. Great job this morning, did really good. I thought you led us particularly well, and I love your ability to lead us sensitively into God's presence. So what I'm doing there uh, is I'm recognizing the gifts that he's got and I'm drawing them out. Something that he does well, something perhaps he does know about, but I'm pulling it to the surface so that he recognizes that I've seen that he's good at that. Do you see what I mean? So as I, as I say to him, I'm recognizing the gifting that he has got. I'm drawing it out so that he notices that I've noticed it. Again, that's a great way of encouraging people is to value them, not just praise them. I love praise but to value them as well. I find that really helpful. So one, remain dependent on God every morning. Great place to start. Second, outdoing one another and showing honor. And thirdly, to, um, to love people as you love yourselves. Um, those things have been really helpful for me. As we learn how to tame our tongues, we will be such a breath of fresh air to the communities that we are in. As we get this right in our home, with our families, um, how we speak to our wives or our spouses, our husbands, that matters. How we handle, our children see that apart from nothing else. And our children are imitators of what we do. So if I speak to Abby Abby abusively, 
No doubt my kids will join in with that. When they're at home with her on their own, I'm out at work, they will talk to mum the same way dad talks to mum. I think that's important to see, and vice versa for mums and dads. Um, the other thing is in our workplaces, I don't know when you're at work, uh, for me, uh, I've been in a lot of different jobs, but one of the things I've noticed is the way guys speak about their wives when they're not around their wives. That's not very encouraging. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, there are two phrases that come to mind, ball and chain and trouble and strife. Neither of them are good thing about women. Um, they're not helpful. So the way we conduct our relationships with our friends and the way we talk about our people when they're not around, people see that. In fact, people, my work friends, have noticed the way I do speak about my family, uh, for good rather than for worse. Um, even speaking about the boss or the employer, again, this is something popular in today's day and age, to just slag them off, to down-talk them or to say that they're not any good at their job and if we did their job, we'd do it much better or I wish they'd get this right, I wish they'd pay me on time. That doesn't help people see Jesus when we do that. In fact, that doesn't help me see Jesus. That doesn't bring Jesus any honour whatsoever. So learning how to tame the tongue will be like a breath of fresh air to a society that doesn't care and doesn't know. That will be a breath of fresh air in a very cynical world. I was actually, one, yeah, another point here is about cynicism. I didn't realize among my friendships, cynicism and negativity is quite popular. It's quite cool to be cynical. That doesn't glorify Jesus, does it? In no way does being cynical about our culture or about our friendships or our relationships honor Jesus. So stop it. That's a handy thing there. Um, I just, I just want to finish, actually. I feel like I've just raced through this whole sermon. But I, I, I want to finish with this. I found this, I think, on Friday night, and I thought it was really helpful, quote, in 1 Peter. And he says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. For to this you have been called, because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to God. It's that point one every morning. God, I can't do this without you. I need your help. I think if we get some of these, I hope that's been helpful this morning. I think if we get some of these into our heads and start to understand them, see how God feels about language, see the influence of our language, and see how we can honor the society that we live in and honor one another in this church, it will be a light on a hill. People will see it and I think delight in it, to be honest. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think even people that don't know Jesus recognize that. So I'm going to finish there. Why don't we pray together? If you close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege that you've given us to, uh, to be in this world and to demonstrate your kingdom. Thank you so much for the gift of speech and language that you've given us. And Lord, would you help us and encourage us to use our mouths wisely. Help us to use our words wisely in a way that blesses people. God, that we might show you, that we might glorify Jesus in every situation that we are in. In Jesus' name, amen.